The sermon passage for today is Genesis chapter 16, a portion of Genesis chapter 16, and a portion of Philippians 2. I'm going to read that out for us. Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 to 6. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian her servant, and gave her to Abram, gave to Abram her husband as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Philippians chapter, 12, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. We're in the fourth and the final week of a sermon series on Genesis chapter 16 titled Three Sinners. We've been looking at a a, a very specific set of events that unfolded in the lives of Abraham, Sarah and Hagar in this chapter. If you missed any of the earlier sermons, they're available on YouTube. We'd encourage you to... um, Watch it. And you're probably wondering what is the connection between Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar Hagar, and this popular but quite confusing passage from Philippians which calls us to work out our salvation. This phrase, work out your salvation, is probably one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. So what I hope to do today is to show you how Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, how they worked out their salvation. And after that, I hope to show us how we are to work out our salvation. So that's the connection between Genesis 16 and Philippians 2. So here are the three things that we're going to be looking at this morning. How Abraham and Hagar worked out, and Sarah and Hagar worked out their salvation. Two things we must not do in working out our salvation, and one thing we must do in working out our salvation. So how Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar worked out their uh, salvation, 
two things we must not do in working out our salvation and one thing we should do in working out our salvation. Let's start with the first thing. Over the past three weeks, in one sense, we have been seeing how Abraham and Sarah and Hagar have, have been working out their salvation. Let me give us a quick recap, also from the passage we read. Hagar mocked and taunted Sarah when she became pregnant, but Sarah couldn't. And Sarah was quite obviously upset, and she treated Hagar harshly, even though she was pregnant. So much so, that Hagar ran away into the desert to die. But Christ met with her in the desert. Hagar did not pray. Hagar did not seek God. But Christ reached out to her. And not only did Hagar see Christ, but she also felt, if you remember from the first week, she felt seen by Christ. Grace transformed Hagar and she went back to Sarah. So here, how did Hagar work out her salvation? Hagar worked out her salvation by going back to Sarah. And where did Hagar find the resolve and the strength and power to go back to Sarah and work out her salvation? Hagar found all of this strength in her encounter with Jesus. Grace transformed her when she met with Christ. So God first worked something into Hagar by his grace before she could work something out. Echoing Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13, we could say that Hagar worked out her salvation for it was Christ who worked in her to both will and act for his good pleasure. That's Hagar. How did Abraham work out his salvation? Abraham had sinned too by giving into polygamy. Abraham, if you remember from week two, he did not repent. He did not run to God. He did not write a psalm of repentance like David did. Again, it was God who took the initiative. God met with Abraham. God renewed his covenant with Abraham and gave him the grace of circumcision. So Abraham worked out his salvation by receiving by grace God's covenant of circumcision. Lastly, how did Sarah work out her salvation? Again, if you remember from last week, Sarah remained cynical for 15 to 16 years, perhaps even longer. Again, it was God who took the initiative and came to meet Sarah, not the other way around. And even though Sarah remained cynical and she even lied to God, if you remember last week's sermon, it seemed as if that meeting with God didn't change it at all. It seemed like that to begin with, but as we saw last week, God had worked his grace into Sarah in that encounter. And we saw how Sarah slowly worked out her salvation by responding in faith. She believed God's promise and came together with Abraham and they had the promised child. So that's how Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, that's how they worked out 
their salvation. Do you see a pattern in all this? The pattern is God initiated each of their transformation. It was God who initiated each of their sanctification. They themselves did not initiate it. And so if this is how Abraham and Sarah and Hagar were transformed or sanctified by God, by God taking the initiative, how do you think we are being sanctified? How do you think we are being transformed? By God taking the initiative. It is always Jesus who initiates our transformation. It is always Christ who initiates our sanctification. This phrase here in Philippians 2, I actually see a lot of beautiful connections between Genesis chapter 16 and Philippians 2. This phrase in uh, Philippians 2, work out your salvation, quite literally means work out your sanctification. A justification is given to us by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. We receive it by grace through faith. And what this passage is referring to, work out your salvation, essentially means work out your sanctification, or in simpler words, work out your transformation. What is sanctification? Simply put, sanctification is the lifelong process by which God's Holy Spirit transforms every believer to become more and more and more like Jesus. But when Philippians 2 says, work out your sanctification, what exactly does it mean? This is where it gets confusing. You see, sanctification is is quite a confusing topic. Most of us may not quite realize how confused we are about the process, about how exactly are we sanctified. Does God sanctify us? Or do we have to sanctify ourselves? Is sanctification a gift to us? Or is it a responsibility? Is it our responsibility? You see, this is not an academic question. This is a deeply personal question. If you are a follower of Christ, I bet that there was a time in your life when you began to wonder, what should I do now? What is my responsibility in all this? What do I bring to the table? What should I do in order to be sanctified? How can I, how should I contribute to my sanctification? How do I grow in Christ? Maybe some of you are wrestling with some of these questions right now. And as we wrestle with these very real questions, we inevitably come to the conclusion that if I come to church regularly and come at 10.45, not 11, We come to the conclusion that if we come to church regularly, if I pray and read the Bible regularly, if I attend small groups regularly, if I do this, if I do this, if I do that, then I will be sanctified more and more. There's a problem here. 
in this mindset, in this posture, in this understanding of sanctification, we make sanctification all about what we have to do. First, we make sanctification all about what we have to do, and then you know what we do? We fail to do what we have to do. Familiar? We make good resolutions, we start with good intentions, but we fail in doing what we have to do. And when we fail, we feel bad about ourselves and this becomes a downward spiral. Isn't that right? Can you relate to this downward spiral that I'm talking about? Now do you see why it is so helpful for us to see how Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, how they worked out their sanctification. They worked out their sanctification because it was God who initiated their sanctification, not themselves. And that's the first thing I wanted to draw out for us from the passage. Now, now we're getting to real practical stuff here. The second thing I wanted to draw out is two things we must not do in working out our salvation. Two things we must not do. As I said earlier, many of us may not realize how confused we are about the process of our sanctification. Sometimes, if you're more reformed, New City is kind of very reformed, if you're more reformed, uh, you're going to think sanctification is 100% God's work and 0% our work. God does it all. The risk with this is that this could lead to a passive faith. Or worse, it may encourage licentiousness. If we believe sanctification is 100% God's work and 0% our work, you see it's all grace, we may end up doing nothing. We may end up just sitting and waiting for God to sanctify us. We may keep on sinning. Or worse still, we may sin even more because God will sanctify us. We can do whatever we want. So that's the first mindset. Obviously, this is wrong. Even though we are reformed. I'll unpack that. Some of us believe the opposite. If you're kind of more Armenian in your thinking... If this is your first time in your church, Reformed and Armenian are just two ways in which uh, followers of Jesus understand their salvation. There's one God, one salvation, but we, there are two ways in which we understand. Now, if you're kind of more Armenian, you're kind of thinking, you believe sanctification is, um, sorry, some of us, we believe in the opposite. We believe sanctification is 100% our work. We believe that it is our obedience that sanctifies us. Yes, God saves us. Justification, that is the work of God. But we wrongly believe that sanctification is entirely our work to do. We have to take care of our transformation. We have to be intentional. We have to be, work, we have to be working hard. We have to be prayerful. We have to be diligent. We have to do everything. The problem with this is this is going to lead to legalism and pride. People like this are going to be very quick to judge other people. All you need is four or five people like this in a church, and they will judge and drive away all the other people who are honestly struggling 
with their sin. And if you believe that sanctification is 100% our work, it's our obedience that sanctifies us, you're very likely to be pretentious, religious, self-righteous. If you read the New Testament, that's what the Pharisees were. And Jesus was, was very critical. These are people who think, I am a good Christian. Good Christian within courts. The Pharisees believed that too. So, both are obviously wrong. And there are some people here who are very wise. We believe both of those are wrong. So we have a balanced approach. We take the approach that it's 50-50. God does his part. We do our part. Well, the big problem here is that this also becomes sanctification by works. The moment we say 50-50, we are basically saying it's 50% by God's grace and 50% by my good works. Obviously, this too is wrong. How do you understand why sanctification is so confusing for us? And we all, in our lives, as followers of Jesus, we've been through all of these three parts. Uh, we wrestle with all this. We, we, we make our journey. We have our doubts. We have our conversations. We figure this out. And after working our way through all this subconsciously, this is where we land in. Subconsciously, maybe when I say it, you'll be able to relate to what I'm saying. Subconsciously, we end up in a place where functionally, we believe God does 99% of our sanctification and we contribute a tiny, weeny little bit, 1% of our sanctification. It can't be that we do absolutely nothing, we tell ourselves. We've got to do something. We've got to do a little bit, 1% at least we have to contribute. And so we believe that coming to church regularly, reading the Bible, praying, so on and so forth, deep down, we believe this is the 1% that we do, but God does the remaining 99%. Seems like a nice solution. I suspect most of us are kind of settled somewhere here. Now, there's a big problem here. Big problem. If we believe we contribute even 1% to our sanctification, the whole foundation of the gospel, that is our salvation, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is destroyed. And even this, this thinking that we can contribute 1%, that our 1% work pleases an infinitely holy God is a reflection how, of how vastly we underestimate God's holiness. Our righteousness before God is like filthy rags. Filthy rags. So even 1% defies grace. So that's not true either. Our salvation, our sanctification is always 100% grace. We contribute nothing to our salvation and nothing to our sanctification. So we're back to square one. Back to where we began. 
God does 100%, we do 0%, that's going to lead to licentiousness. You see the confusion? This is a major conundrum. It's a major tension. If we say God does 100% and we do 0%, it may, pro- it may encourage passivity and license- licentiousness. But if we say, if we even say God does 99% and we do even 1%, we begin to walk away from the gospel. So what is it? How on earth is our sanctification supposed to happen? It's quite simple, really. The answer is right there in the Philippians passage. Our sanctification is 100% God's work and 100% our response to God's grace, both in that specific order. Let me me repeat that. Our sanctification is 100% God's grace and it is 100% our response to God's grace, both in that specific order. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for... And the word for actually translates to the word because. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you both to will and to act for His good purpose. So this verse is saying... Because, because God has first done 100% of the work for our sanctification, because God's grace first accounts for 100% of our sanctification, we must also, in return, give 100% of ourselves for our sanctification in that specific order. You mix up the order, everything goes wrong. Think about it. If God gave all of himself for our salvation and our sanctification, if God, if the Son of God, Jesus Christ, poured out all of himself to death, even death on a cross, if God put 100% of himself on the table for our sanctification, how could we possibly give him anything less than 100% of us? So our sanctification is not 100-0, it's not 0-100, it's not 50-50, it's not 99-1, it's 100-100. Our sanctification is 100% God's grace and 100% our response to God's grace, both unfolding in that specific order. The order, God's grace first, our response next is everything. Therefore, therefore, here are the two things we should not do for our sanctification. Two things we should not do. First, we should not remain passive and do nothing for our sanctification. And second, equally true, Whatever we do for our sanctification, it must always be in response to what Jesus has done for us. It must never be in our own strength and our own effort. 
Because sanctification is 100% grace and our response to God's grace, we must never, never, ever take any credit for our work towards sanctification. If we pray, our prayer is not earning God's pleasure. We pray because Christ has already sanctified us. If you read the Bible, our reading the Bible does not earn God's blessing for us. We are already fully blessed in Jesus. Our reading the Bible is just a response of God's unlimited grace to us. The Apostle Paul, he captures this beautifully in his letter to the Corinthians, like the Apostle Paul always does. First he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Look at this. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. What a beautiful way to explain the mystery of our sanctification. Paul is saying that his sanctification is 100% God's grace and also 100% his hard work as a response to God's work, both unfolding in that specific order. I'm going to tell you something. You may probably hate me for it. I'm going to say it nonetheless. You know, sanctification is harder for good Christians. Good Christians within courts. We're thinking, I'm a good Christian. God is largely happy with my life. I don't really need to repent. I don't do any bad things. Good Christian. Sanctification is harder for good Christians than it is for Christians who know they are struggling with sin. Christians like that can keep on sinning, making a mockery of God's grace, so I'm not cutting them any slack. So if that's you, don't be happy. You need to be squirming in your seats as well, I hope. But good Christians find it harder to experience sanctification. Simple. Those who know they are struggling with their sins find it easier to repent. And God's grace comes face to face with them. When they encounter Jesus, it could be in any form. It could be just among you, people just encouraging one another, praying for one another, just coming to church, just reading the Bible one day. God can encounter you with His grace in many ways. So those who, are, know, those who know they are struggling with sins will be quick to come to repentance. But those who think we are good Christians. Those of us who think we are good Christians. And I have to tell you that I'm more at risk than any of you in this church to think I'm a good Christian. I'm the pastor. Right? If I, if I don't think I'm a good Christian, I'm going to feel unworthy to lead any of you in Christ. Right? So I'm more vulnerable than any of you to think I'm a good Christian. But those who think that I'm a good Christian we don't feel the need to repent. 
So we stagnate in our faith without being sanctified. Such good Christians, we need to remember that we need to repent of our good works. Good Christians, we need to repent of our ministry. Because we are using that to earn God's blessing. Those of us who are good Christians, we need to repent of our good works because we are subconsciously believing that it is our good works that is sanctifying us. Such good Christians, we need to repent of our obedience. Because we believe subconsciously, deep, deep, deep inside, that somewhere it is our obedience, one percent. One percent of our obedience, more than God's grace, that is sanctifying us. And so good Christians, within quotes, we need to repent of our obedience. Why do we find sanctification so hard and complex to understand? We don't get it. If you think you've figured out your sanctification, you're wrong. And I'm saying that to myself. If I feel I've figured out my sanctification, I've got it all wrong. It's going back to grace, going back to the gospel. It's like starting with a clean slate every day. Yesterday's repentance is yesterday's. Yesterday's gospel renewal is yesterday's because my sins are new today. Christ is the same. His sacrifice is always the same and always enough. But my sin today is new. It's an ongoing daily thing. But why do we find it's so hard to understand sanctification? The main reason, the biggest reason for this confusion is that we make We fail to make a distinction between obedience and sanctification. We fail to make a distinction between obedience and sanctification. A lot of us think obedience and sanctification are one and the same. They are not the same. Let me explain. Sanctification is entirely, 100%, the work of God's free grace in our hearts. It is 100% God's Holy Spirit applying the finished work of Christ in our hearts and sanctifying us. It is 100% God's Holy Spirit sanctifying us and renewing us, that sanctification, and our obedience is the direct result or outcome of us having been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So obedience and sanctification are different. God sanctifies us by transforming us in our hearts by His Spirit and we respond to the sanctification we have already experienced in our hearts by His Spirit by obeying God. Philippians 2 captures this beautifully. Work out your salvation, that's step two, with fear and trembling because it is God who works in you. That is step one, both to will and to work. Both to will means it is God who places in our hearts a desire to obey, to be sanctified. 
even the desire, the good motive that you have in your heart and I have in my heart is not my own. It's not our own. It is from God. So first, God sanctifies us. God works in us to will and to act. God works in us to desire and to actually live out that desire. That's step one. Next, because God has sanctified us, we are able to obey God. We work out our sanctification. We work out the sanctification that we've already experienced and received 100% by God's grace. And that is step two. Apart from step one, which is God sanctifying us by grace, all of step two, which is obedience, is mere moralism is inadequate to please God. The Bible says no one can be justified by obeying the works of the law. If you're still not convinced, let me give us one more illustration. The Ten Commandments. God's law. Do you think there are many followers of Jesus? Sorry, let me step back. Do you think there are many people who are not followers of Jesus who are obeying the Ten Commandments well? Do you know such people? I know a whole lot of people who are not Christians who are obeying the Ten Commandments, the law of God, actually better than many Christians. Do you think they are sanctified? They are not. They are not sanctified because it's not enough. Our obedience is never enough. The only way our obedience is acceptable to God is if our obedience is flowing out of our salvation in Jesus. It's only when we are covered, our sins are covered by the righteousness of Christ. And it's only when His Spirit is empowering us to obey, only that is acceptable to God's infinitely holy standard. So which is why I say that obedience that is not flowing from God's grace, is meaningless. It can never satisfy a holy God. And so we need to remember that obedience is not the same as sanctification. Obedience is the result of sanctification. Obedience is the outcome of God sanctifying us. And this is such a crucial distinction in in our basic doctrine of faith in Jesus. If we forget this distinction and and make our obedience our sanctification, we will move away from salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. For those of you who are theologically minded, this is where people misunderstand Reformed theology. Reformed theology, which is the beauty of the gospel, tells us that all work of our salvation, salvation in all its parts, Justification, sanctification, glorification is 100% the work of God. The Westminster Catechism, the Westminster Confession says that salvation is the sanctification, is the free work of God's grace in our hearts. Everything else is a response. So we can only work out our obedience after God has already worked in. His grace into us. So if you're able to grasp that obedience follows sanctification and obedience does not bring about our sanctification, 
If you understand this crucial difference between obedience and, and sanctification, you have understood how to grow as a disciple of Jesus. On the other hand, if we fail to grasp this crucial difference between sanctification and obedience, we will keep on struggling in the Christian life. Because we are going to keep on trying to obey in our own strength rather than depend on God's grace. Or when we do manage to obey, we are going to claim credit for it in our hearts, subconsciously at least. So those are two things we must not do in our sanctification. Don't be passive. At the same time, don't take any credit for any good work or any act of obedience on your part. It is the work of God, God's grace that is leading us to that obedience, that is empowering us to obedience. And that brings us to the last thing for today. One thing we must do in our salvation. The one thing we should do. If sanctification is if sanctification is also by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is there anything we can do? Is there anything at all? Is there anything we should do? Is anything expected of us? Yes, there is. And what we should do is clearly spelled out for us in Philippians chapter 2. In this chapter, before calling us to work out our salvation, the Apostle Paul does something extremely interesting. Paul first paints, Paul first paints one of the most beautiful written portraits of Jesus to be found in the New Testament. With his words, Paul paints one of the most beautiful descriptions of Christ in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Paul says, Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by obedient, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Two, three verses after painting this beautiful portrait of Jesus, Paul then says, work out, therefore, work out your salvation. So the one thing we must do to work out our salvation is to see Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Christ. Beautiful. Behold the sacrifice of Christ. Behold with your hearts and your mind and with our whole beings the humility of Christ. Be captivated by this Jesus who not only became human but also became a servant. Gaze daily, gaze always 
Guess every moment of your lives at this Jesus who not only became a human and a servant, as and a servant, but also became obedient to death. Fix your eyes on this Jesus who not only became a human and a servant and obedient to death, but who even became obedient to a shameful death on the cross. Only only the death and the resurrection of Jesus can justify us, can sanctify us, and can eternally free us from our sins. Listen, it is not your obedience that sanctifies you. It is the obedience of Christ that sanctifies us. It is not our obedience that sanctifies us. It is the obedience of Christ on our behalf, imputed unto us, freely gifted to us by faith. It is that alone which sanctifies us. Look to Jesus. Only in looking to Christ can we be sanctified. And only when we are sanctified, only when we are already sanctified by looking at, our, at, looking at Christ, can we truly obey. Let me repeat that. Only when we are already sanctified by looking at Jesus, can we truly obey. Let us pray. Father, we repent for every way in which each of us have taken your grace for granted and for every way in which we have kept on sinning, making a mockery of your grace, making a mockery, Lord, of your death and resurrection for us, making a mockery of your sacrifice. We come and repent for every intentional, deliberate sin. We repent for every pursuit of the pleasure of sin. Forgive us, Lord. And even as we repent for our licentiousness in the same breath, Lord, we also repent of every good work where we have felt that good work has earned a standing before God. We come and we repent of every obedience where we have felt that in that obedience, apart from God's grace, we earn God's blessing. We repent for the two ways in which we walk away from the gospel. We repent for being the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son. And we repent for being the elder brother, the good Christian in the parable of the prodigal son. And even now, Lord, as we fix our eyes afresh on Jesus through communion, by your Spirit, Sanctify us that we might find joy, pleasure, and on this day, freedom to obey. Freedom from our sin to obey Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.